Good morning, listeners. You're welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. My guests this week are Michael Daly from Chagas. Amelda Walsh will be cooking our Christmas dinner for us. Paddy Finnerty will be telling me all about the native Irish black bee. And finally, Albert Purcell is joining me to talk about the big Christmas event that's on today in Nina. My first guest this morning is Michael Daly from Chagas, and Michael is in the Nina office. Good morning, Michael, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Okay, Michael, we're going to talk about health issues with regard to the beef herd at the moment. Okay, Jim, yes, uh, at this stage, most everyone has cattle housed at this stage. It's just a reminder on a few issues that's cropped up at farm level. I suppose the major health issue with beef, beef and maybe all livestock is the whole area of ammonia. It's been very prevalent in the last, um, last while, largely due to the changeable weather, warmer temperatures in the sheds. And you may or may not have the, the herd vaccinated or stock vaccinated at this stage, but um, if you have outbreaks, it is possible to consult your vet if it's outbreaks of ammonia in sheds consult your vet, you may have to vaccinate if not done already. And I suppose you can't change much the ventilation, pneumonia normally is ventilation with changeable weather and you can't do much to change to any structural ventilation problems, but simple things like, like opening doors, um, increasing ventilation on muggy days and clipping cattle, Jim, would be mm-hmm. another option to reduce the temperature load in, in the shed that would cause pneumonia. So there is issues at the moment in pneumonia. Watch it because it's all about animal performance in the day. Yeah, is it because that, you know, if we take the weather so far this week, has been extremely mild with plenty of good sunshine uh, during the day and Maybe Monday was very overcast, but they're still very warm. Yeah, it's just it's the weather. It's the weather, mm-hmm. and sheds may be overstocked. Mm-hmm. The, the weather is just it's just so changeable from from one day to the next, and you need to be vigilant on those days to increase the ventilation as much as possible in a given shed. And uh, like I said, open doors is, is, is all you can do at this stage. There's not mm-hmm. much more you can do. But be vigilant if it's if there's evidence of pneumonia, you may have to consult your vet and you may have to vaccinate. What other health issues? The other issue, the, the, yeah, the other issue is we're prevalent is more it's very much weather related for the year mm-hmm. that was gone by, and that's the whole area of fluke. Um, and just an example, really, the, the Grange, Chagas Grange Research Farm up in County Mead, it has never had a history of of fluke or ruined fluke in its in its hair ever in its in, in, its, in its in its life. Mm-hmm. And this year, this year as an example, that farm is under pressure, which is a relatively dry farm, and it's it's, it's, got, it's because of the wet weather for seven months. So there is evidence of fluke and um, in herds at the moment, and. It is important. Equally, most farms would have at this stage dosed for roundworms, lungworms, and fluke. It is a good, a good advice maybe to do a faecal egg count on livestock in the shed at this stage after dosing, just more or less to see has the drug worked. And it should be the faecal egg count should be zero. And and but if it, if it's not, it could show um, possible resistance to the antimentics or placentals that's used. It's a good, it's a good um, practice to do a faecal count now to see has your drug um, regime worked to this day. But watch out for fluke, um, definitely on the year the wet weather that we had over the summer months and particularly into the autumn. And are you talking about taking a 
sample from a single animal or are you just t- taking up, scooping up some of the dung that would be on the ground, uh, you know, but, but so that to be yeah, representative I'm, of the whole herd? Yeah, you can do a pool sample yeah. um, from, a, from a group of cattle just to give mm-hmm. a, a, a clear indication, has, has, has the drugs worked? Obviously, if there's individual animals that is showing signs of sickness, you may have to do an individual one. But a pool sample would be sufficient just to, uh, across a few pens of cattle just to see how the drug work. And it, it is popping up that, uh, that there is resistance showing up in some antimetics. And it, 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 it's a good example just to see how it works. So a pool sample would be sufficient. And if you haven't dosed uh, up to now for fluke and having taken the sample, you see that there is fluke, what should a farmer be doing? Well, at this stage, the cattle will be housed mm. uh, well into two, uh, two months this stage yeah. in some cases. So you'd imagine that any fluid present in the livestock would be at the mature stage. So um, a product, any placental-based product that would be targeting mature fluid would be the product of choice. Another uh, parasite that's out there at this time of the year, particularly with animals being housed and some of them being uh, maybe, as you quite rightly said, a little bit of overcrowding, and that p- might be an infestation of lice. Yeah, it has it has popped up with mm. a few clients of mine that they, they, they have used poron as housing um, to, to control lice, and there are secondary infections of lice popping up, and that could be a, a reason for that. Could be that the eggs, they were not killed at, at, at the time of application, mm-hmm. have have reemerged. So it is possible. You, you may have to go back in and retreat um, the whole the whole herd again, yeah. if need be, if there's evidence of it. But I would be mindful, mindful that if you are going in to treat the whole herd with for lice or equally if you're going to treat them for fluke or for worms be mindful of the withdrawal periods of of the drugs of, of, that you're using because the particularly if you're if for finishing cattle if you're hoping to get cattle out the gap um in the new year be mindful of of the withdrawal periods on the drugs used okay any other issues out there that have come across recently michael their, their issue would be maybe from the cow perspective is mm-hmm. um, there's two things that we that spring calf and dairy uh, spring calf and sucker cows should be looking at now is the whole vaccination for scour or the corona um, vaccine for scour. Um, ideally, you you give the vaccine three to twelve weeks. It says in the label um, pre calving, but ideally in the region of three to eight weeks would be would be the up some time to give the vaccine pre calving. Um, be mindful of the carbon spread that you may, for larger herds, you may have to go and do it twice because you need to treat the whole, vaccinate the whole herd now. There might be cows there and there might be calving for maybe 15 weeks and so the vaccine won't be effective. So it's coming up to, up from time down to, to look at the vaccines for spring calving herds, treat the eight weeks pre-calving. The other, other issue has come up, um, not, not so much locally, but in a few isolated pockets nationally, is in the whole area of, of um, it's linked back to the multi-species and plover swords that farmers were putting in during the year, and they were correcting the pH of soils to, um, to put in these crops. And some farmers possibly might have overlined um, some fields, and that in turn now has manifested itself, picking high molybdenum in areas that your copper has, has been locked up and it's shown itself up in conception rates and being poor in some of the autumn calving, calving, calving herds. So 
be mindful of that. I mean, if you're if you're going over over line, because it could have a negative effect on trace elements. And I suppose this time of the year, dry cow minerals should be introduced to cows pre-calving. Again, uh, your buckets or, or your or your powder minerals, whatever the case may be. But that, that's a small issue, not mm-hmm. not major, Jim. But but it's an, it's an issue that's cropped up in the area of liming and the possible locking up of trace elements. And uh, of course, talking about liming. Uh, I- I suppose it's very important as well that cubicles are properly limed as well to make certain sure that there is no infections in the dairy herd coming up now. As you mentioned, calving isn't too far away on some farms. Over well, dairy farmers, yes, mm. it's, it's keeping the clean environment and the same applies to sucker farmers. Mm. Keeping the clean environment at all times is, is, is controlling um, infections or bacterial infections that could crop up in that calving time. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Michael, before I let you go, then was... one, one, one last one last comment okay. I would say, I would say okay. just a gym, just a, just a reminder. It's not a health issue. Is that um, what is cropping up is the, the whole area of fodder, and and it is an optimum time to do your midwinter fodder budget. The feedback from farmers um, that I'm talking to is the expression of getting the whole time is they're milling through silage, just flying mm-hmm. through the silage, and. That's probably a combination of lower dry matter, maybe lesser feed value, and younger stock are growing and they're going to eat more. So we're banking on hopefully an early spring, but it's important now to look at your fodder budget now and assess it. Um, You may have to try finish stock earlier, be mindful of withdrawal periods, of course, Um, but try to take a stock now and see can you take remedial actions if you need be for, for, for a later spring. Hopefully it won't be. Okay, well, before I let you go, let me wish you and all the team there in Nina a very happy Christmas. And uh, look, we will be talking in the new year. Thank you, Jim. And likewise to you and all our listeners, um, happy Christmas to all. That listeners was uh, Michael Daly, who is an advisor with Chagas in the Nina office. Listeners, my next guest this morning is no stranger to Agriport on Tip FM. She is Imelda. Walsh, a former chair of the IFA in North Tipperary. But we're not going to be talking IFA on this Christmas week. We're going to be talking about cooking the Christmas dinner. Good morning, Imelda, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jim, and good morning and happy Christmas to all your listeners. Thank you very much. Now, I have you on to tell me what's the Christmas dinner going to be like in your house this year? We're quite a traditional family, Jim, to be honest. It's the turkey and ham. I suppose, for me, I suppose the excitement and the build-up starts on Christmas Eve in boiling the ham and getting it ready and coming home after Christmas Eve Mass and having some of that um, delicious locally produced ham for for the supper. That's how I suppose we start Christmas. So I suppose my Christmas starts on Christmas Eve and it's it's the first night, I suppose, we, we get together as a family and I'd have boiled the ham earlier that day. i boil it in some cider and I throw in some carrots, onions and some oranges to give it a flavour and then when it's boiled sufficiently I bring it out and I let it cool and I'd slice it that night and we'd have it for our tea when we come from Mass and then I would bake it. I would um, on the top I would um, mark it on the top and I'd put in the cloves and everything else and um, I would bake it the following day what's left after the Christmas if I buy quite a large ham yeah. I suppose as a family we actually love the ham. It's delicious. It's lovely, and it's it's Irish, and it's um it's very very nice. And we'd also, I would have made some stuffing. It's potato stuffing. We'd be big fan of the humble spot in our house. So I would make my 
potato stuffing also on Christmas Eve and we would have some of that also on Christmas Eve night also. And then I suppose on Christmas Day, I suppose my Christmas morning would start quite early. I get up about seven o'clock and I'd be preparing the turkey to put it into the oven and I'd put that into the oven and let it work away and um I would put the ham in then much later, obviously we'll say that. I like the full whole turkey. Mm-hmm. I like the look of the turkey. I like the legs. I, I like the tradition of what a turkey was like when I was a child growing up. And I know many families nowadays with smaller family members and everything else, they may go for the crown or just a breast of turkey or they may go for something completely different. But I like tradition, you know, so that's yeah. what we would have. But we'd always start with... um a black pudding salad for a starter mm-hmm. and um, I'd have the black pudding and I'd make a green salad with that and I'd add in some peppers, some mm-hmm. sweet peppers and some tomato and I would um, stew some apple, which I would have with that and some streaky rashers and um, some croutons. Absolutely delicious. So we'd have that. And I like to spread the dinner out over a couple of hours and just relax between the courses and chat and catch up on everything and, you know, what family have been mm-hmm. doing and the whole build up with saying that, and I suppose looking forward to the year ahead and looking back on the year that has been with saying that, like, you know, from obviously being a farmer, um, you'll always be looking back from a farming perspective in relation to what the year has actually been like with saying that, like, you know, and um, I suppose we always look forward to anticipation to the next year being better. And I suppose as farmers, we'll be looking forward to better weather, better commodity prices, lower input costs, etc. you know. Yeah. And then we move on. We'd have the soup. I'd make um, a vegetable soup and we just have that with some brown scones and some white soda bread, which I'd make myself for saying that. And um, then we'd move on to the turkey and ham. And I always do Brussels sprouts, poor Brussels sprout, I suppose, comes in for yeah. a fair arbitrary criticism. It's quite tasteless, but I try to jazz it up a little bit. I put in, I cut up streaky rashers and I fry them and I'd put in some pine nuts. And um, I'd be fairly heavy on that butter, we'll say, and that and it gives them a, a nice flavour. And I just do some roasted carrots and parsnips with that and um, with the turkey and the ham and the stuffing. And I'd, I'd always do just boiled potatoes. I actually like them in their jackets, you know. Um, yeah. I like the, I like the look of them in the jackets. I like the taste of them. Um, I think they're actually quite nice and everything else. Plus, it's a job less to do. I know the skins afterwards, but yeah. it's a, a job less peeling for, for the housewife or the husband or the children or whoever's doing the work. And I suppose in all families, we try to share out the jobs in as far as we can. We're saying that like you know and um then we move on to the plum pudding the famous plum pudding we're saying that and many years ago i used to make it was saying then i got busy with ifa so the baking um of the plum pudding and the the christmas cake that shoved the side and there's some lovely shops in nina which make fabulous plum Mm -hmm. puddings and i always buy one of theirs and we'd be trying i'd like that now with some hot custard and some lightly whipped cream and maybe a little bailey's coffee didn't finish off the day we'll say in that and um sit down and relax but I suppose I'd be quite laid back I like it spread out over the few hours it's the conversation the family the you know all of the conversations mm-hmm. and the the phone call with friends that you haven't seen for a long time and um, yeah so that would be I suppose a traditional Christmas day in in the Walsh household you know okay very very good it's very very similar to the one in the Finn Finn household I think uh, I think in the majority of houses yeah. across the country like we we probably all do more or less the same in different variations mm-hmm. we're saying that like you know yeah the one thing that uh, uh, you didn't mention in yours for the Christmas dinner, the turkey and the ham side of it, is that uh, I'm a, an absolute lover of mushy peas. 
Oh. <laughs> the old traditional yeah, mushy The old tradition, tea. yes. Yeah. Well. I, I'd be partial if you mushy peas myself now, Jim. Uh, you no, know, but it'd be the ones, <laughs> they'd be the old fashioned ones now, the ones you'd have to steep the night steep, before. Steep, exactly. And they're, and I still do those ones. My mother, <laughs> the Lord of Mercy, yeah. always, we had them every Sunday for our dinner, always as children and teenagers growing up at yeah. home. And they were lovely and much different flavour to the ones that you just, you know, the non-steeping oh, yeah, ones. Not, and, the, the, yeah, the they're mod- not the same. No, no, no the they're, they're definitely not, the not we'll say in that like, you know. Okay. But I suppose, you yeah. know, the most important thing is for people look at to support their local butcher, the local vegetable yeah. shop, the local bakers mm. and everything else because look at this, it's it's tough for businesses out there at the moment and they need our support, not just at Christmas, but throughout the year, Jim. And, and sure, the farming community are very good at supporting uh, local businesses, no matter uh, what they are, you know, uh, you know Ballycal where I live, and yes. we never really had a proper shop in it, and now we have a shop in it, and it's unbelievable. Everybody say a shop wouldn't survive in Ballycal, but my God, it must be one of the busiest shops in the county. And I think, Jim, we're all beginning to realise mm. like we need to look after what's local mm. and our locally, our local economy, our local mm. community, and everything else. Because look at it; it's, it's hugely important. It's 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 part. It's the fabric of society. It's who we are. And if we don't nurture it, we're going to lose everything. And we'll wake up some morning just wondering where has it all gone. Okay. Well, look at I want to thank you ever so much for sharing your Christmas dinner. I sincerely hope that there, anybody listening to this. Uh, this morning, uh, the two of us uh, don't land on your doorstep <laughs> <laughs> expecting to get a Christmas dinner. But uh, thanks, thanks, Emil. Uh, thanks, Jim. And I for, suppose for we to... would have seen an arcade meal of all if somebody came with saying that. You know, that yeah. I suppose. Look, I think the more than yourself, Jim, I think there'll always be a welcome in the Finn household. <laughs> I think there <laughs> would in, in, uh, in, in the Walsh house. Uh, household as well but look at a big happy Christmas to you and the family and again as always thanks for uh, coming on air and sharing your Christmas dinner with my listeners Thank you Jim and happy Christmas to you and your family also Okay, that listeners was Amelda Walsh the former chairperson of the IFA in North Tipperary giving us a little bit of Christmas Listeners, my next guest this morning is Paddy Finnerty. And Paddy is up in there, just outside Ross Muck. But the reason Paddy is with us this morning is that there is a programme going out on TG Car at 9.30 on the 30th of the month. And it's all about the native Irish black bee. And we all know how important the bees are for as our pollinators and not to talk about the lovely honey that we get from them. And Paddy features in this particular programme. Good morning, Paddy, and thanks very much for joining us here on Agriport here in Tip FM in the middle of Tipperary. Good morning, Jim. How are you? And your guests, how are okay. you all? Paddy, I've, I'm told that you're uh, a fond lover of nature and that our native uh, Irish black be is in trouble well to my own experience jim and i can only say this from my own experience i have bees for about 30 odd years yeah now and saying that in the, my first years of beekeeping like i suppose all beekeepers and at that time jim they weren't as popular as they are now mm-hmm. i was a total novice 
to be honest with you. And I, I started with bees to my father-in-law, to my, yeah, father-in-law, my clean art, as we used to call him. And he was old in years when he got them. He was near pension age, like. And at that time, Jim, I'm living here in the west of Connemara, as far west as you could get, a beautiful spot. But uh, there was very little lectures or, or, or beekeepers in the area. And uh, we used to have to go to Aston Rye at that time to get registered for, for, for the year, like. Yeah. And it was there that I've seen the first queen uh, by, and it was, I think it was Brendan Coughlin, who used to give a lot of lectures, a great beekeeper in Galway. And he, I think he, he was a professor, I think, or, or, or a scientist in the Galway University. And it was there that I first my seen my, my first queen. But when Connemara started, Jim, yeah. I got a really keen interest in, 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 in the bees and in the, in the native black bee, of course. And we started up about 12 years ago. Maybe I could be wrong now in my dates here. Yeah, roughly yeah. around that time. Don't worry, yeah. And Jesus, I, I've learned a lot. We started going to lectures, like up the country, up a lot to, to Tipperary. Yeah. And and Michal uh, Mikilakosa and John Somerville. And it was those two, of all people, that had a lot of influence on me in bees. And especially when I heard Michal Mikilakosa say, down in Wachterard one, one day, to keep the native black bee. And at this time, we had we were after getting yellow books asked queens and we didn't know what we were doing and after a few years Jim they ate us alive and that is the truth I had a bad bad experience with them myself yeah. and my daughter mm-hmm. to this present day I think years bees because I was at them one day and they attacked both myself and my daughter she was only about three I think at the time and I followed her yeah. so I started doing research or finding out and for me how Michael said it I said to the father, we better keep the black bees, I said, Michael, I said, they work best. Which they do, Jim, here, yeah. I'm only speaking for myself. And they're, they're a stronger bee. They're, you can't beat the native thing, Jim, if you really sit down and think about it. If we'd only all sit down and think what we're doing. And they're a docile bee. Yeah. They're tough. They're native to the country for hundreds thousands, millions, I suppose, years since the Ice Age. And in Ireland, the, the Aces mellifera mellifera is the strongest place, I think, in the world we have the strain. And especially, they say, in the West. Because we're extremely lucky here, Jim. We have a great a great association and a, and a great committee. And we're London, and we used to swap queens, like to Michal Mikilakosa, and to John Somerville and to other beekeepers up the country, Mikio, a lot of them like that we got to know, like, and we used to get queens from them, the native black queen. But there about, Connemara was free from Bookfast bees up until about five years ago, Jim. And right. then they came north and south. And they came on my own doorstep here and it broke my heart, Jim, to be honest with you, because I had excellent bees. And that's the truth. As good as you would get in the country. Yeah. And... When I started doing a research and asking other pe- beekeepers, it's getting very, very bad Jim, throughout the whole country at the moment. There's a lot of mongrel bees now, north, south, east and west. Mayo, Clare, Carr, mm-hmm. and in the west, Tipperary. And it would be almost, if it keeps going, Jim, the way it is, my experience of it, and I'd like other beekeepers to come in on this and to, to, to say the same, or I don't know what they think, if it keeps going like them, 
like 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 it is at the moment, we'll end up, Jim, with no native black bee. And that is the sin. We're here on this planet Earth. The, we don't own the bees, like. They're given to us to mind. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing that. We're destroying them. And we're not getting no backup. No beekeepers getting no backup from government. And, and Grace McCormick, mm-hmm. Professor Grace McCormick, in the university here in Galway, she has a team of workers, and it's scientifically proven that we have pure aphis mellifera mellifera here in the west of Ireland and throughout the country. But if, if they keep importing this native non-species into, into the country, which they're coming in their hundreds, in their thousands, Jim. Right. And there's a few things that could happen here. There's, they'll dilute or native black bees. Mm-hmm. It's like if you have a can of, we'll say, white paint, mm-hmm. and you keep adding black paint, well, you, eventually you're going to destroy it, and you're going to ruin them. Now, as I'm talking to you, Jim, I'm not an expert on this, but Grace McCormick and a lot of other uh, people in this field, like who study this, would, would, would be able to tell you better, like, but through my own experience, Jim, yeah. the non-native speed, they, 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 they don't work here on that. Not in Connemara. Because mm-hmm. you'd have to keep importing your queen every year or every second year. Because they don't live here. Like they live in France and in Italy, yeah. and in where they're uh, you, mm-hmm. where they're a native to. Like yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, and and yeah, you know. And sure, we have another example of importing uh, from abroad may not be as prevalent in the west of Ireland as it is down here in Tipperary. And that is when we started importing uh, ash from uh, East, Eastern Europe. And now look at the yes. situation we are in with our uh, depopulation of ash trees. So uh, the same thing you're really telling me is happening with the bees. Yeah, it is. I mean, Ireland is a small mm-hmm. little island. Mm-hmm. But if we'd, if we'd use our head here in this country, it's, it's a gym, it's a gold mine. It's Ireland... It's as good as country as you get any place in the world. Okay, we get a bit of rain and things like that. But you could practically say that we could be self-sufficient here if we, if we, had, if we were governed right. And it would give a lot of employment to people and things like that. But mm-hmm. unless human beings sit down and mm-hmm. say, to, say to ourselves, what are we doing in this planet? We're destroying it. The land. I mean... Mm-hmm. There's only about 18, I'm, I'm going away from bees here now, Jim. there's only about 18 inches, roughly, to two feet of topsoil on the whole face of the earth. That's all. Yeah. And there's a lot of examples the way we're cultivating food, no more than bees. Mm-hmm. And like what you said about importation, a lot of things were brought into the country that, that, that destroyed it, like rhododendrons as well, like in Gunnera, like you were saying. Yeah, and Japanese. And it's only a matter of time, Jim, because... Yeah. They'll take in a, some diseases or that, uh, what do they call the, the hive beetle, small hive beetle. I don't know yeah. exactly what's the, the right name for it. Like, And that's in Italy at the moment. And you cannot export any queen without a few nurse bees, what are like, in mm-hmm. a cage. Or then in a box, like with a colony, a small colony. I could export now queens any place in the world in a little cage. You know that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. with, with five nurse bees along, what are like. Yeah, and, and or then in a small little box with a small little colony, yeah. and it's 
and there's thousands of them coming into the country, Jim. And if this little hive beetle, which they're very worried about, like, yeah, and a lot of experts and beekeepers are telling governments this, like, to be extra careful, like, what they're doing. And if that lands in our here in Ireland, they, they reckon the climate here is ideal for it, like, the cli- and, and mm-hmm. it will spread, like, like the Varumite came in yeah. in the 90s, mm-hmm. that almost destroyed all the native flies here. So we're 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 doing we're on dangerous ground, Jim, when we're yeah. importing to a small little nation like this. Right. Okay. I think. Yeah. Okay. Now, just one last question to you: What was it like doing the program for TG Cahar? Perception, sorry. What was it like doing the program for TG Cahar? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest with you, of all the years that I have bees, Jim, and this is the God Oscar truth, we left. I really enjoyed it. Good. And I hope that we're going to get our point to cross. Like, it's a small little step, like I said to some other radio presenter there the other day, like yeah. Neil Armstrong said, what we're trying to do, like, and yeah. uh, trying to put bees on isolated islands. That's how far we're driven by, by the support we're given from government, to be honest with you. I hate to say it. And uh, it all depends on governments, like, to stop this. Bees are very important things. Not alone, Jim, for the honey, like, but the benefits she gives to beekeepers and, and spiritual kind of. And when you're working with them, they're, I consider them spiritual. They're, there's energy in them. Okay. And they're only doing scientific research now on the, on the you know, when they're humming or, or, yeah. or, or, or whatever you call them, in, in cancer and things like that, in leukemia, the frequency yeah. that they give out. And, yeah. of course, the propolis, like, which I don't know anything about. Like, there's, there's a lot of benefits in bees. Of course. It's long with the honey. And like you said, and about, of course, about pollination. Yeah, very And yeah. that's what I said to Johnny Halloran when we were going to Boston. Mm-hmm. I said, Johnny, I said, even if they don't do, I said, a stitch honey. Not one jar of honey, I said, Johnny. They're going to benefit, I said, the island, the ecosystem, birds, I said, farmers, sheep, cattle. Because without bees, Johnny, I said, and there's no native, native bees out there, not, not any honey bees, they'll do more work, I said, Johnny, that we won't see with our eyes, along with the honey, I said, if they get good weather. Okay. Well, and I was, it yeah. was the best I'm year going, I had in beekeeping, yeah. Jim. Okay, well, I'm going to have to cut you short now because I'm out of time. And thank you very much but for talking I wa- to you. I want to thank you and I really would love to meet you sometime. I have your day. telephone number and the next time I'm up there in the deep west of Ireland, we'll have a chat. That listener's was Paddy Finnerty, a beekeeper from Connemara. And if you would like to see Paddy and hear what he has got to say, why not tune in to the TG Cahar program that goes out on the 30th of the month at 9.30pm. Listeners, my final guest this morning is Albert Purcell. And you may remember I had Albert on this time last year because Albert is one of the people, of the many people, involved in bringing Christmas to the town of Nina. And this afternoon, and all day today for that matter, right up until late into the evening, all kinds of things will be happening in Nina, and Albert is now going to tell us all about it. Good morning, Albert, and thanks very much for joining us. 
Well, good morning. Good morning, Jim, and thanks very much to yourself, your good self, for having us on and, and, uh, and promoting our, our, our great day here in Nina today. Thanks to you. Okay. Now, will you ever tell my listeners that anybody who will wander down the road from any part of North Tipperary, and indeed, if they really want a spectacle down in South Tipperary, they can come to Nina, as we all know. What's going to happen all day today? Well, they're more than welcome to Nina because today Nina turns into a winter wonderland. But in your opening there, you said Albert Purcell and many of many of his friends. And those many friends, I just want to pay gratitude to them before we start, is the agricultural contractors and Nina and their, their friends. Because they're the ones that bring this spectacle, this magical Christmas experience to Nina every year since 2018. And only for their commitment or dedication... The work they put in, you know, the hours, the nights, like these machines are often pulled in the night before, as you, as you will know from what they produce, and all at their own expense. I, I, I emphasize that because mm-hmm. uh, they're really, they're really just, they really blow it out of the out of the water every year, and only only for them. And so I'd want to pay gratitude to the contractors, like and, and the friends that put on this spectacle. As my own wife would say, if I changed the bulb. In my own house, three more would blow. So I have nothing to do with any of the spectacle. All I am is the, the fool that comes out in front and talks to the intelligent people like Jim Finn and Tip FM. No, no, no. So we'll, I just, we'll, I'd, we'll, I'd like to make that clear first, Jim, if that's okay no, with you. We'll, we'll have none of that. I know when you're talking about the spectacle, you're talking about that famous event that will start at around 6 o'clock in the evening. But and uh, you know, looking back on some of the past days, it started off as a simple lit up tractors, but it went into flying Santis and snow falling all over Nina and all kinds of things uh, in the years that followed. So I'm quite sure there'll be something new for uh, 2023, Albert. Oh, there will, and we're very excited about it. It's, it's. I have to pay uh, homage, I suppose the word is to. Uh, an elderly gentleman, he wouldn't like being called that, but it's Oliver Kendi, Oliver, Oliver the Elf. The first year he built the sleigh, which is up airborne with Santi and, and a moving reindeer. The second year he brought us the Polar Express train, which will be available all afternoon there for free train rides down in the railway station, along with the fun fair from one o'clock. The third year then, last year, he, he brought out this amazing 30-foot cracker, mobile Christmas drawn by a vintage tractor and um, inside it is a working workshop where you'll see the elves working away getting their presents ready for Christmas Eve and this year we're delighted we're delighted to be bringing out on the streets this year we're, we're very excited about the gingerbread man's house uh, with a few little surprises on it and it's, it's genius what he's done and uh, it's, it, it adds to the spectacle not only is there vintage tractors lit up modern tractors lit up harvesters, silage or combine, sprayers, the farm implements. Uh, we even have a tractor this year we're delighted from 1916, a Titan tractor uh, in the vintage section. And that's going to be a great spectacle to watch because there's a lot of moving parts all lit up. But the day itself is, it starts, it's a full day event, Jim. It starts at nine in the morning with an all-day Christmas market. And then we have the um, Christmas shop is opened. And then from one o'clock, as I said, we have the fun fair. And an added addition this year is the Snow Globe photo booth, where you can go in with the family, get your photo taken with the snow blowing around inside the globe and the Christmas setting. It'll be beautiful. We have the Polar Express, as I say, the free train rides around the railway station. And then Mickey and Minnie Mouse and their 20 of their friends from the Disney characters start roaming the streets. 
and cause mayhem going into shops and posing for photographs and having the fun and bringing a great atmosphere, as well as from live Christmas music on the streets from 2 o'clock. And Along uh, with um, yeah. all, all the fun of the day. Yeah, sorry for cutting across there. Have you flown Mickey and Minnie in from uh, the United States for the afternoon? Well, to be honest with you, um, you know that we, we have a great connection down here with, with uh, a lot of American politicians. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we, we just cut a, cut, a, cut a bit of the red tape there and we got them in. And it was just by the skin of our teeth that we got them in right. and uh, with, with their characters. So we're delighted to have them on board. You know, a bit of royalty is no harm to have in any parade. Isn't that right, Jim? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you get great support then from uh, the businesses in, uh, in the town. Fantastic, fantastic support. Like, like they really row in behind us. Mm-hmm. Michael Cleary, you'll know the ex-famous Tipperary hurler, JKC Toy Master. Like this raffle that we have is a five thousand euro raffle, and one of the prizes he's brought in. John Deere is a very, very popular brand, but he's brought in with Berg Toys there a toy, a go kart that's uh, valued to a thousand euros. We have Banahans have brought in. Uh, both a tractor for boys and girls and another item we have then is another John Deere battery operated self drive tractor and trailer the value of 500 we have uh, 10 loads of timber we have loads of turf, we have weekends away we have food hampers, we have beauty hampers and all the shops in Mina were asked for, for, for vouchers so every shop has been represented in this raffle and we're selling tickets all day on the street. They're two euros a line and three for a fiver. Mm-hmm. Again, it's for, for uh, to try and raise funds for, for the charities we're involved with. Right. Now, you mentioned charities there, Albert. What are your main charities? I know you give out a lot of money down through uh, all, all through the year. Sorry. So what are the charities that are going to benefit from uh, this spectacle uh, today and into uh, the late evening? Yeah, we have the A-team, Jim. They're, they're, they're a youth club for the autistic community, not only in Nina, but in North Tipperary and beyond. They started two years ago with 60 children, and now they've gone up to over 140 children. They're looking to fund for a building, which I know they will get. At the moment, they're renting out a building, but they, they have a full itinerary of stuff every week for from, uh, children as, as young as four and five and up to um, young adults. Mm-hmm. And also then we're, we're proudly associated with Billy Goulding, Billy's recovery story. Yeah. Farming background, young Billy, we know the story, like just suddenly at two years of age, became paralyzed. He needs full-time care, which he does get. But I have to emphasize any improvement that Billy makes comes from his parents, Victor and Eileen, and it's through the fundraising. Like at the moment, I know they've only arrived into them there is, a, is this special suit from them from Canada cost of 50,000 they had to fundraise for it yeah. and uh, they have a gym built for them it's just unbelievable what they do for them but to see the improvement and to see Billy when you do meet him he's a child that draws you in with his eyes he is, he's a great personality a great character and uh, it, we're delighted delighted to be involved in him you know the, the contractors are delighted to be able to give the opportunity to do something for him you know Okay, now given the time of the year that it is, I'm quite sure that uh, Santi will arrive in Nina sometime this afternoon or the evening time. He does. Rumour has it that that, that at around half five there Mm -hmm. on the Kenyan Street in Nina, 
that out of a puff of smoke he'll appear and be saved by the fire brigade and we'd like to, to pay gratitude to them for being involved in it and they'll deliver him please God safely to the to the airborne sleigh that uh, then he'll be ready to lead us in through the streets of Nina with the with the we also have the kids on the pedal tractors that'll be in front with, with Santi and the sleigh there and the flying snowman with the snow I, I meant to say that to you Jim you won't have to do a weather forecast this year because Around 6 o'clock in Nina, it will be snowing, and that's guaranteed. So we'll have Santi, Santi lead us in the way with Rudolph, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, this will be his last appearance, uh, because then he's straight to the North Pole to get ready for his big journey on, 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 on tomorrow night, Christmas Eve. You, you mean to tell me now, Albert, that this is a practice run for him, so, uh, he, so he, he'll know where uh, Nina and Tipperary is for all the children uh, ah, that Jim, will Jim, be receiving. Jim, so everyone knows where Nina is, but yeah. that's, that's, that's not, no, Jim, Jim that's, that's a bit low, but I mean, for, for, him, for him, we'll just make sure anyway. Well, it's so lit up, and it'll be so lit up on, on, the, on, on tonight that he'll never forget what, what happens in Nina tonight, you know, because we have a good few surprises on the street. So I'd encourage people, even though we're coming from Liffey Mills and the reason being, we'll give, it's lovely to see the parade coming in from the dark, you know, with the yeah. light. And, and um, it just gives people the opportunity if they want to park out the, the old Dublin road, you know, for the, 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 the younger ones or the not so young. And uh, But we'd emphasise that people come onto the streets in Nina because we have a good few surprises on the streets in Nina, you know, to, to mark the huge occasion that it will be, you know. Well, look at Albert, we're out of time, but I want to thank you and all your team for bringing such cheer to the town of Nina. And as I said at the beginning uh, of this interview, if no matter where you live in Tipperary or just outside it, Nina is the place to be today. Listeners, that's all I have for you from AgriPort for this week. But before I go, I would like to wish... You all, a very happy Christmas. I will be back next week with a little bit of a run through what was the year 2023. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon Dewar presents Down Your Way.